All right, take your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. Take your Bible, your phone, whatever. I want to talk to you from the subject of not for sale. Not for sale. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been going through this whole story, kind of story by story, maybe skipping over a couple of the smaller parts. Um, hope you're reading it. I, I need you to go back and maybe read chapter 21 that we're going to cover today. I'm not going to be able to cover all of it, which is always the case. Um, but this story is kind of unique because the timing of this message hits on, on this Sunday. Now, I didn't plan this out and look back and see, you know, the election is going to be on November 3rd, and then I'm going to plan this. This is, this is kind of ironic and, and interesting how the timing fell to be on this particular story uh, concerning all the current events that we're going through. And, and as we unfold, you'll understand what I'm talking about. This is a very dark and devious and diabolical and absolutely evil story. Uh, we're going to cover today. So it's, it's not one of those feel-good messages. You're not going to feel real great when you leave here. I'm just going to tell you right now. Uh, so somebody said, that's okay. I didn't feel real good when I came, right? <laughs> uh, but it, it really is a, 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 a diabolical, devious story. So we're going to get in that. But, you know, we don't need to skip over those parts, those parts that warn us of what's to come if such and such happens, right? Don't need to skip over the warnings. We, we tend to do that in our culture because uh, we, we've got a bunch of guys that just want to tickle our ears and just give us all kinds of encouragement, and we need a lot of that. But don't overlook the warnings in Scripture. They're there for a reason, and if you keep running stop signs, sooner or later, there's going to be a massive accident. You know what I'm talking about? All right. So we know humans can soar to great heights and do great things. We know that. But we're not naive. The Bible's taught us about getting rid of our naivety about humanity, uh, but also reality teaches you that humans are not only capable of doing great things, that humans are very capable of doing very debased, uh, malicious, and, and wicked things. You know that? We're very capable of doing both. In fact, all of us in this room have what the scripture calls a flesh. And, and that flesh in all of us, if it's left unchecked, is capable of a whole lot of things that we wouldn't even want to talk about. Right. So we, we've got to just know that, that we can do great things, but we're also capable of doing very debased things. Now, Ahab and Jezebel are going to take center stage today in this story. And the wickedness that these two scheme up in this story is absolutely shocking and repulsive uh, to a moral mind. It's crazy. And we're also going to meet another guy in this story who is the object of their witness, uh, wicked, wickedness, a guy by the name of Naboth. Now, Naboth lives in the city of Jezreel, just on the other side of the Jezreel Valley from Mount Carmel, where we looked at the other day. Naboth owns a nice piece of property there in Jezreel. He owns a piece of land that is a very fertile piece of land. He's got one of the best vineyards in the countryside. It just so happens that it is adjoined next to the property where, Nah uh, where Ahab and Jezebel have their summer palace. Isn't it interesting how God will make these two guys neighbors? You'll, you'll see how this unpacks in just a moment. Ahab wants to expand his property boundaries, and he wants this vineyard for himself. So let's dive right in. Let's start in verse number 2 of, second, of 1 Kings 21, verse number 2, and let's pick up our story. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house. And for it, I will give you a vineyard better than it. Which he's the king. He probably has some pretty nice property all over the place. 
Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. Name your price, Naboth. I'll give it to you. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he, Ahab, lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, help us today. We've we got a difficult story, a wicked story, Lord. We, there's some things here we need to learn. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to help us to grasp the things that you put in this story to show us, the things that you had intended for us to learn from this story when you had this written down. Help us, Lord. Make this our bread today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 So Ahab makes to Naboth what seems to be a reasonable offer. It seems to be a reasonable business offer. I will either do a land swap or else I'll, I'll give you fair market value, maybe even plus 10%, maybe so. He sweetened the deal a little bit probably because he wanted it real bad. It seemed to be like a good offer except for one detail. It's not for sale. This property is not for sale. So, so why is this property not for sale? If we rewind the story all the way back to the days of Joshua, when they entered into the promised land, do you remember that Joshua took time to segment out the holy land, the, the, the promised land. He segmented it out to all of these tribes. And then within each tribe segment, the families were allotted certain pieces of ground all throughout the, 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 uh, the, the nation of Israel. So all of this stuff was happening back in Joshua's day. And what was said in the law of Moses is that when God gives you the land, and if he gives the land to the Laneys, that land is supposed to belong to the Laney family for all generations to come. That is our inheritance. It's our responsibility. It's, it's where we find our place and our niche in God's big order and scheme of things. Okay? So that's in the law of Moses. So what seemed like a business deal actually was a temptation. And that's what Naboth says to Ahab. He says, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Now we would say it kind of like that today too. God forbid that this would happen and I would make such a decision. We say that kind of language, don't we? God forbid. He says, the Lord forbid. He calls God by name. He said, Yahweh forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers to you. So this was not just a business deal. This was actually a temptation. And, and, and again, it's interesting that God would put Naboth, who was seemingly a good man, who was holding on to God's word and trying to do the right thing. God would put Naboth as a next door neighbor to this wicked man we have come to know as King Ahab. A man with no scruples is living next door to a man with high convictions. A man with no moral compass meets a man who, according to God's word, wants to do the right thing. And God put them side by side and they went to the PTA meeting and they went to the homeowners association meeting together. How about that? And we, we know about Ahab now. Ahab is way off track. He's way in left field somewhere. He's not even interested in following God anymore. 
I mean, if you're not interested, after God shuts up heaven for three and a half years, according to his word, says it's not going to rain, and it doesn't rain, and then God, in order to cause, cause it to rain again, causes fire to come down on a mountainside right beside your lawn chair where you're sitting, and he causes the whole mountaintop to go engulfed in flames, and then Elijah prays, and the God of heaven sends rain after three and a half years of drought, he sends rain upon the, upon the earth and things turn and change. If that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what is. So what we see with Ahab is that he has got a real stubborn, hard heart. And oh, how it must have vexed Ahab's soul when this man named Naboth comes and quotes the truth of Scripture to him. I mean, that Bible was a thorn in his side. Oh, how his blood must have boiled when Naboth mentioned the very name of the God he was at war with. That sounds familiar in our culture today. I can hear him kind of kicking in, in his bed. These, these believers, these Bible thumpers, always stopping progress. Who they think they are? They're living off in the past, worshiping a book and, and reading, worshiping a God we don't even know exists anymore. These old right-leaning radicals, they, they keep stopping us from making progress in this country. They can't let us just make this country what we want it to be? And the answer is no! Uh-uh! <laughs> you see, if Ahab would have sold his land, he would have been selling his soul. That's the connection. Because the, the land is part of the inheritance. It's not the only part, but it's a major part of it. This is ours. By God's grace. And beloved, listen to me. In this controversial, volatile time that we're all living in, you and I have got to decide that we are not for sale. Yes. We're not for sale. Our convictions are not for sale. Our values are not for sale. They're not for sale to Democrats. They're not for sale to Republicans. They're not for sale to right-wingers. They're not for sale to left-wingers. They're not for sale to anybody. They're not for sale to temptation. Our values and convictions, our morality, our Bible, our Jesus, our country is not for sale. There's nothing you can give us to tr make us trade something for our very soul. It's not for sale. And those sound like radical words, but what we need are men and women in our country, men and women in our communities and our families who have a backbone and conviction that we will stand for truth, whatever that truth might be. And we're judged by that truth, even ourselves, even if we're in the wrong. We stand for the truth because only the truth can set us free. Only the truth can cause us to be able to live in a free society. And beloved, we have better had already made up our minds before Ahab comes. Because when Ahab comes with his sack full of money and all of his flashy promises, and you hadn't made up your mind yet, you might be in big trouble. You hear what I'm talking about? Our master says it like this. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, he says this. For what profit is it to a man or a woman if they gain the whole world and they lose their own soul? So that's a question, and that's not just a rhetorical question. That's actually a philosophical life foundation. Think about this. 
Probe your, the depths of your psyche and your mind and your choices and your soul. This is that kind of question. Jesus, the sage of the age, is talking to us. Saying, why are you doing what you're doing? What do you think about this? Or what will a man or a woman give in exchange for their soul? So what would you sell out for? Money? A little bit of fame, fortune? What, what, what would you sell out for? That's what Jesus is asking. What would you exchange the, most, the essence of who you are? What would you exchange for your soul? And you know what? There's an excellent answer to some of that. What would people give for their own soul? Well, the devil went down to Georgia looking for a soul to steal. You know what I'm saying? He, he, I think he went back there the other day. <laughs> anyway. But th this, this whole deal has got an answer. Th these two questions have an answer. And you and I need to think, what would we give in exchange for us? Now, we know the, the church answer is nothing. Nothing's more important than your soul. But the Monday morning at work, when they ask you to do something crazy, what's that answer? That's a different answer. It, well, it shouldn't be, but I'm just saying that's a different scenario. Isn't it? All right. Now, as I was reading all this, what, what, if, what if you've already compromised? What if you find yourself where you have lessened your convictions? Like, like David did. Or maybe like the prodigal did. Or maybe like... like the Apostle Peter did. What if you find yourself in a compromised position already? What if you already made a bad change? Wait, what, did, what did David do? Well, he repented. He, he came back to God. What, what did the prodigal do? He, he repented and he came back home. What did Peter do? He repented and he met Jesus by a campfire and Jesus restored his soul in the conversation with him. You know, that's the idea in Scripture. We'll, we'll be unpacking this a little bit more in future days. But it's the idea of redemption or the idea of being redeemed. It's, it's like the reason Jesus came to buy us back, which is the idea of redemption. You know, if you take a coupon and you go and redeem it, then you cash that thing in, right? Well, it, that's the same idea about redemption. What Jesus has done is He has gone to where you already sold yourself into sin and slavery. Jesus comes and redeems us or purchases us off of the slave block, so to speak. In fact, there's actually a Bible story with Hosea and Gomer where that whole event actually happens. He goes representing God to buy his wife who has sold herself into slavery. He buys her back. That's a, that's a, that's a beautiful picture of redemption. So even if you find yourself in the darkest days of your life and you've already made a bad choice... And you already sold your soul to something or somebody. There is a way back if you want to walk that path. So Ahab goes back home. Nabal says, it's not for sale, buddy. Thank you, though. <laughs> Ahab goes back home. He's resentful. His heart is hardening as he walks back up the hill to his house. And he, with every step, gets more furious and more furious and more furious. And Ahab just absolutely begins to seethe in anger. And he pitches what amounts to a royal fit. You, you know what I'm talking about, a royal fit? He, he pitches a big one right here. He curls up on his bed, sticks his bottom lip out, pouts, kicks and covers off of him, and refuses to eat. I mean, it's a grown man. 
All because he didn't get his way. All because a righteous man said, no way, sir. <laughs> now, do you know what's worse than a spoiled child? I mean, we don't like spoiled children. They get on my nerves. They really do. Because, you know, my mama didn't think that was even right. She thought that was child abuse to spoil me. My mama taught me two, a, a, a word that had two letters in it that a lot of folks don't know nowadays. My mama taught me no. I remember one time when I was, you know, these... Uh, it was, it was like a big star grocery store. I don't know if they had big stars back, back down here years ago. 30, I mean, I was a kid, so whew, that's a long time ago now. <laughs> 45 years ago, let's say it like that. That's a long time ago. But, um, you know, the, the grocery store manager used to have this pedestal he sit in. You know, the, the ceiling would be so high, and he was perched up on this little shelf up there, and he was watching the whole store. You know, I have all these mirrors and all these cameras and stuff. They had him, <laughs> and he was watching like a hawk. Well, one time my mama told me I couldn't have no bubble gum. I mean, just that little super bubble, you know, that little stuff right there. She said, no. So I did this. I, have to, I heard the story through my mama, so it's quite comical to hear it through her. I just a little guy, four or five years old. So I decided I wanted some bubble gum. So I'm at the, I'm at the you know how to put stuff on the side of the aisle right there? So I just reach up there and I grab a piece of bubble gum and just put it in my pocket. We got in our 74 Ford LTD station wagon. It's about as long as this building. I went to the back. You know what I'm saying? I went to the back, back there where the, 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 uh, the hatch seat is, you know, where you just sit on the back and you just pop the hatch up there again. You just sit down there and you feel like you're in a rocket ship or something. We did that anyway. That was my little hole back there. And it was about a zip code from where the driver was. Okay. So I'm sitting back there and I'm, I, I got my little paper going. I've got my bow gun. Mom said, what you got? Oh, what, what, where'd you get that bubble gum? Didn't I tell you you couldn't have it? I told you no, boy. Where'd you get it? I, I got it at the store. Did you pay for it? No, I mean, my mama just turned the car around. I mean, she just zoomed, turned it all around, drove back to the grocery store. Did you pay for it? No, I did not. You gonna mean to tell me, just cause you wanted a piece of bubble gum, you stole a piece of bubble gum from Big Star. I mean, this bubble gum, for real, was like one penny back then. You remember that? It was like for one penny. But Mama was teaching me something that was lots more valuable than a penny or a dollar or a thousand dollars. She was teaching me that you don't take what don't belong to you. And when I say no, I say it for good reason. And it don't matter whether you like it, want it, or think you got to have it. No means no. And I don't care. And in fact, with my mama, when she said no, if I kept asking the question, I mean, there was a belt whooping coming soon. I mean, on the second ask. I mean, when mama said no, it was no. It was final. I mean, there wasn't no negotiating. I mean, all our kids nowadays, they're like massive negotiators. You know what I'm talking about? No. Why not? No. Uh, can I have it? Why? No. Why? Why? Mama knocked the wine right out, right out of my mouth. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> I am not. Y'all think I'm making this stuff up. I mean, y'all meet this woman in, for too long, and y'all look at her and say, yeah, I can tell she's real mean. No, she's, you, you're going to be shocked because she's as sweet as honey now, but, but, but that ain't the same woman that raised me. Y'all got to understand that. <laughs> so she had me go back into Big Star, took me by the hand into Big Star, and I had to stand in front of that perch that that man was sitting in. And she said, tell him what you did. And I'm, I mean, I'm a little guy. Tell him what you did. <laughs> and I'm crying. I mean, it's all over now. I stole gum. And that man had the sense to come down 
and give me a talking to rather than to tell me, oh, it's okay, son, it only cost a penny. That would have been a terrible thing for him to say because it becomes principled at that point in time, right? You just don't take what belong, doesn't belong to you. So what's worse than a spoiled child? A spoiled adult, a spoiled grown-up. And what's even worse than that is to be married to one of them. But that's a different story. My goodness. We all in some stuff now. Lord, we, we got a back door to this place. <laughs> all right. But, you know, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad now that grown folks don't act like Ahab did. I'm just so glad that just is in the Bible and it don't happen no more today. Aren't you glad about that? All right. Mm-hmm. Now, something we learn in this story is to be careful what you want because you might not like what you get. Be very careful. In steps Jezebel. She sees Ahab all twisted and contorted and bawling and squalling on his bed. And her crafty, seductive self comes. And, and this idea of Jezebel. Now, if I, if I mention names to you like Al Capone, Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, Jack the Ripper, we, we all know these kind of names. What, what are they synonymous of? Evil. Evil and criminal activity and criminal minds and all this diabolical stuff that they do. Well, just like those names are in our culture, in the culture of the Bible, Jezebel is one of those names. Okay? That old Jezebel, you know. In fact, if my grandma saw somebody that wasn't dressed right, she, that's what she'd call them. She, that old Jezebel. Look at Jezebel over there. I'm serious now. I ain't lying. Anyway. She sees Ahab in this royal fit, acting like a spoiled child, and her wicked mind goes to working this elaborate scheme. She starts thinking about how she can turn the table for her husband. Now, the thoughts that go through her wicked mind are diabolical, they're devious, and they're actually murderous. This lady sees herself above the law of the land and especially above the law of God. This is what she says. Verse 7. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, I don't know what her voice sounds like, but I can hear it. It sounds weird. It's a bad horror flick, I can tell you. You know, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food. And let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And if Ahab had any sense knowing how crude and wicked his wife's heart is, and she's already displayed it by killing the prophets of God already. If he had any sense, he'd have looked over there and went, What you talking about, Jezebel? Something about to go down. It's not going to be good for any of us. Jezebel here begins to exemplify the kind of evil that is willing to burn it all down to get what they want. She has no boundaries. She has no morals. She has no restraints. All she has is this blind ambition. I don't care what you want. It ain't about you. It's about me and what I want. This is Jezebel now. In case you didn't realize that her spirit's still with us today. In fact, the writer of the book of Revelation talks about how she went to church. You know, we, we may talk about that a little bit later. 1 Kings 21.8. This is what she does. Listen to this. And then we're going to kind of unpack what she does here. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. 
and seek two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, here's the charges you levy against him. You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. It's a rigged deal here. You get that point? I want you to see, because we have a, a, a picture, we have a case study of how real evil works in this world. Now, just, let's just unpack it real quickly. There's, we could talk a lot about several of these things, but let's unpack what she does. And I want you to see if this sounds familiar to you at all. First thing she did, she forged and falsified documents in the name of her husband. The second thing she did, she took her lies to people of power to get them worked into the mainstream of public thought. We'll talk a little bit about that, but let's just move on. Just see. The third thing she does is she fabricated an elaborate lie against Naboth, which involved character assassination, false charges, and lies leaked to the press in Jezreel. The fourth thing she does, she sets up a kangaroo court. Y'all know what kangaroo court is? That's like in your backyard where they're going to take care of the business. They, 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 it's, it's a rigged deal is what it means. Kangaroo court. Sets up a kangaroo court disguised as a town meeting to control the judicial process. She's already paid off the judges now. Or maybe not paid them off, but just threatened them. This is what y'all going to do, boys. The fifth thing she does... I want you to notice is that the meeting was disguised as a religious gathering, a fast. And haven't we recently heard politicians that are as godless as they can be stand up and say, we have faith and our faith governs us. And I want to say, yes, you do. You do have faith. You just have a different God. Number six, she hires two scoundrels or two activists to stand up at the meeting and tell a bald-faced lie against Naboth. Now, why two? Why not just one guy and let him fuss and rant and rave? Why two? Anybody know why two? You know what the Bible says? In the mouth of two witnesses, let everything be established. So in the court of law, you had to have at least two or three witnesses to establish your case. So here again now, this is how devious and diabolical this woman is. And remember, she's as wicked as they come. And here she's pretending to be lawful and even religious. So she can get her way. And then the last thing about this evil working, they murdered Naboth in the name of God. And in the name of social justice. Does any of this sound familiar? <laughs> Think Jezebel's still around today? You ought to be able to point her out on TV by now. And she's not always a woman either. So Naboth, this good righteous man who just cared for his family and was trying to do the right thing, is murdered. Now here's, here's, here's another naivety we've got to get out of our soul. That in this life, sometimes when you do the right thing, it doesn't always turn out the right way. That's, that's a hard truth. That's a hard reality, isn't it? 
So we have to invest our life into eternity and knowing that the righteous judge of the ages will sort it all out even if I'm wronged, even to the point of death. There are many of our brothers and sisters who live on this planet now with us who are having to live that way every day. Verse 13 says this, And two men, scoundrels, came in, sat before him, before Naboth, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. And then they all voted, took him out to the precipice of a hill, threw him down the, the hillside there, and then pummeled him with stones until he was dead. They took him outside the city, stoned him with stones, so that he died. And according to 2 Kings 9, they killed his sons too. Because if they killed Naboth, he's got two sons. Who, if Naboth dies, who's, who's the property go to? His sons. But if his sons and him are gone and they just kind of snuff them out, then it goes to the crown. That's tough. Man. I mean, that's rough, man. Your heart just jumps right out to Naboth and says, my God, this evil is terrible. This is awful. God forbid. And then something real crazy happens. Naboth is dead. His wife is grieving. Her sons are dead. Her husband's dead. She's left there to take care of the farm or what, whatever's left of it in her own house or maybe has to move in with her, her sister's. She's grieving, and then everybody else in Ahab's world just goes about their business like, ain't nothing wrong. In fact, everything's just right now. Hmm. Verse 16. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now that's a typical, I mean, that's, that's a, a certain kind of evil right there. You know what I'm talking about? To where you know you're, you're at the hands of a murderous plot. You're the, one of the masterminds of this. You're the authority behind it anyway. And then after this is carried out, you just kind of go about your business. And he had the audacity to go down to Naboth's vineyard and start making his plans about what he was going to do with it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Uh-oh, we got another somebody here now. It's our man coming back to the forefront. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. That's our phrase that kind of makes our whole story. The word of the Lord. It keeps coming back to this man called Elijah. And here's what the word said. Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession of it. God knows right where you are, doesn't he? You shall speak to him, and you tell him, I said this. Have you murdered and also taken possession? The way we would say it, did you kill this man and then steal his property? That's how we'd say it. And you shall speak to him, to Ahab, say this. Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. 
It's over, Ahab. You didn't cross the line, pal. We're not going to take time to study the, the, the death of Ahab, but if you were to read the next chapter, Ahab dies in battle just a, just a little time after that. And they go to rinse out the chariot. And guess where they go? Right to that spot right there. And this prophecy was fulfilled in 1 Kings 22. So Ahab, now the, the two meet there in Naboth's vineyard. Ahab then says to Elijah, as Eli imagine, imagine what was going on right there. I mean, let, let's say it's in the cool of the evening because it gets pretty hot there. Let's say they're, they're out walking kind of in the cool part of the evening, right before the sun goes down. Ahab's walking around. He comes around the corner. There's Naboth's shed right there. He's got all his tools in there. He's got this nice little row of grape vines going right here. Ahab comes around that corner. He sees a shadowy figure standing over there, and he's like, what's that over there? He walks up on him, and oh, it's that hairy man with that leather belt on. <laughs> and look what he says. Have you found me, O oh my enemy? And he answered, I have found you. You know how we would say that in Memphis? Busted. That's what we'd say. Mm -hmm. Listen to what he says to him. This is a charge he levies against him. Because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. You're busted and you're a sellout. Gosh, don't. Help me, Lord. Now notice the contrast. Our, our title's not for sale. See, Naboth stands in front of this king and says, it's not for sale. See the contrast in the story? Ahab, the charge against him is that you sold yourself out, boy. You sold your own soul. And it's that woman you're living with. That's what's the problem. <laughs> Naboth said, not for sale at any price. Ahab, Ahab said, I I'll go to the highest bidder. Give me a little bit, a little bit more and we got a deal. And through the prophet Elijah, God drops the hammer. Listen to what he says about this whole devious scheme that they've got in the leadership of Israel now. Listen to what he says. Behold, I will bring calamity on you, and I will take away your posterity. That's your, that's your lineage, your generations. And will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. There ain't nobody in your house going to live, boy. In other words, I'm going to snuff out your name. And the only reason they're going to know your name is because I'm going to put it in my book so that nobody will walk the path of Ahab anymore. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and you made Israel sin. And now concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. All that's fulfilled in 2 Kings 9, 2 Kings 9 now. 
We won't talk more about Jezebel, but here's, here's one of the hard truths to swallow in this story too. This judgment upon Jezebel, who is the most wicked woman on the planet at her time, it's years down the road. See, we like things to happen quick, don't we? But in God's time, it it didn't happen. Some scholars say it was possibly 20 years later when this happened. And I just read that kind of stuff, and I'm like, God, I'm, I'm not okay with that. You know what I'm talking about? Hmm. Verse 25 gives us Ahab's tombstone. This is what's written as the epitaph of his life. There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Be careful who you hang with. Just a couple thoughts in closing. But what can we learn from such a gruesome story? I mean, is there any redemption in all of this? Yes, there is. Here's one faith lesson. Beware of covetousness. Do you know what that is? Well, we, we would call that maybe greed today. Or desires, or desires of the flesh, maybe so. Beware of covetousness. You know, it's in, it's in the Ten Commandments. It's the very last one, actually. It's in the New Testament. Paul talks about covetousness. And it's the idea of wanting something that belongs to somebody else and you want it for yourself. That's what covetousness is. It's like it begins to eat you up on the inside and makes you ungrateful for what you got and makes you want what somebody else has. No matter what that might be. It can be something small. It can be that big old fancy house. It can be that real nice car. It can be prominence and prestige. It can be just about anything, really. Be careful of what you want and what you pursue. Be careful. Because when you get what you want, you may not want what you get. Ahab thought he wanted that, and it cost him everything. So learn, learn this principle of life, of living. Jesus taught us this. It's actually a principle in a prayer. Jesus prayed like this, not my will, but yours be done. Now see, I, I, I see this as a filter, is that all of our desires, I haven't been excellent at this all my life, and it's cost me dearly, but in my old age, I'm starting to learn a little bit better, and I've got too many knots and bruises and scars. I'm learning more and more to filter my desires through the will of God. Lord, do I really need that? Is, is, is that... Do we really need to go there? We need, need to spend that money there? Do I need to do that? Uh, learn to filter your desires through God. It'll save you a lot of trouble. Another idea. Another faith lesson. Are, are you going to be sold out to Christ? Or are you going to be sold out to your own desires? Which is it? God has dignified you and I with the power of that choice. And it's a grave responsibility. I mean, it's a huge eternal responsibility with eternal ramifications, actually. It's kind of frightening when you think about it, isn't it? 
Are you going to sell out to Christ or are you going to sell out to your own desires? And you can't have it both ways now. You can't have but one master. Jesus said, I, I ain't cutting like that. I ain't sharing you with nobody. And whoever you want to be connected to, they're not going to share you with me either. No man can have two masters. He will serve one. So choose your master wisely. And here's a little hint. Jesus is the only master that if you come into service of him, he'll set you free. Amen. All other masters put you in bondage. That's just a hint. It's just, it's just fact. It's just reality. The last thing. We see this for Ahab and Jezebel who kept waking up, living in the lap of luxury, thinking they were eating the spoils of their own wise, what they would call wise decisions in governing. But remember this. The story teaches us this. Payday is soon approaching for everybody. We've got to live with that perspective that there is a judgment. There is a judge that we will all stand before. And we live with that perspective. It, and you know, it, it should lock us up. You know, when my papa was alive, there were just certain things. And I miss him dearly. Still, he's been, he's been passed for many years now. I, uh, 25 years now, I guess. 27. Something like that. Long time. I miss him dearly. And when he was alive, you know, there were just certain things I would not do, especially if I knew he would have a possibility of finding out, because I just revered the man. And it wasn't a reverence of fear, like, like I cowered in his presence. It was that I really loved him, and I knew he loved me, and I respected him so much that I wanted to honor and be the kind of person that he wanted me to be. Anybody have anybody like that in your life? We need that. Now, who needs to trump all of that is God is that we live in that sort of mindset that says, I want to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and in the back of my mind, I know that I have to answer for what I choose. Payday's coming someday. And for all those who find their shelter in the shadow of the cross, they'll find forgiveness and the re reward of eternal life. But for those who choose their own path and follow the ways of their own sins, the paycheck, the wages for those sins will be eternal death. So, beloved, choose wisely. Payday will be someday for all of us. Lord, help us. A lot of reality here, a lot of things we need to digest. And we thank you that you are gracious enough to warn us. How we like the pats on the back and we like the encouragement. We like the messages on love, joy, and peace. We love those. That's all still part of truth. But Lord, help us to fall in love with the warnings because they are the things that save our soul. They help us. Lord, there's real evil in the world. In fact, at times in our life, there's been real evil in our own hearts. O oh, great judge of the earth, O oh, great judge of all the souls that's ever lived, have mercy on us. Help us to find that place 
that Jesus promises, that Jesus provided with his own blood, that place of forgiveness, to where, as we used to say in old church, we can put that under the blood. We can find a place of forgiveness and freedom and life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness that you call happiness, the pursuit of a blessed life. We, we can find that in you, Lord.